You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. be paranoid about the volume of my voice all day today because like four seconds ago i said okay then and sam and ben both freaked out at me like i'd blown out the speakers on their computer so i'll try to be a little bit more moderated in the way i speak today we'll make this like an asmr podcast now Get very we, we don't need to go that far because maybe my speaker system is just wicked loud and we don't know what the, the readers are listening to or what have you so let, let's try to keep it normal but i like the, the readers of- the readers are listening. Readers, to? I'm sorry. I'm a writer. <laughs> I only do this podcast. What are our readers tuned in on? Well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, that that gives me the idea, Tyler. I don't know if you thought about this, but as a broadcaster, have you ever thought about the market for an ASMR broadcast? I mean, it could be like a regular baseball game. Man, that's actually not a bad idea. That's in this highly specialized world in which we live, where people can like go onto YouTube and watch ASMR videos and all that. That probably would go over pretty well. Would yeah. that just be like calling a baseball game like a golf game, though? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think not to put yeah, you on the true. spot, but just say like one pitch and play, you could kind of give an example of, uh, you know, here's a wind up, a pitch, you know, maybe that is up. that is very. I don't know if I have the right kind of voice for ASMR because I think my voice is like it's like a little grating. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if I think if I drop it down, I don't know if that's adequate enough for people see sam just, sam got, just got the out. shivers because yeah, like, i'm not i'm not weird. used to it with you i think is the okay that's that's true so it was creeping you out my voice is creeping, creeping you out, out yeah. is what you're saying there's that's an good. intimacy here that was that was very uncomfortable that is true that's after seven years eight years doing this show together we're all still very very weirded out by each other um which you know it's understandable if you've met one of us you, you can get why um and by one, I meant all. I wasn't like obliquely referring to it. You meant the <laughs> one creepy one of us. Um, well, hey, welcome into the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. Pitchers and catchers reporting this week across the game. Uh, I saw a Shohei Otani post on Instagram, picture of his locker, and it said day one. And I was like, we are in it now. That's all I care about. We get more Otani. I'm, I'm very thrilled for all aspects of this season just because of that. Uh, but my name is Tyler Mom in New York City, Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra. Uh, guys, aside from me weirding you out, how uh, how are things? How are things out there in the old Big Apple? Good, good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of following pictures uh, and videos coming out of florida and arizona um everybody still makes jokes of like oh they're gonna be grainy pictures of guys throwing it's amazing how technology has changed yeah yeah how we report on pictures and catchers yeah the uh the early days of like oh here's a photo of some pixelated blob in the center of this green uh backdrop maybe that's you know max scherzer right yeah, yeah. Twi- the twit pick days remember when you had yeah. to click a link yeah. to go to another to go to a picture on twitter yeah, yeah. We're, we're way past that now, but it's it's good to see stuff. I will be going down to Florida at the end of next week. Tyler, you and I will talk about spring training stuff more later in the show. Um, but the, that mention of like Shohei Otani showing up when pitchers and catchers report, do you think he's like not allowed to hit until position players? 
Ooh, that's a good question. It's got to be like off the, it's like an NCAA rule. Like you can do it on your own time, but you can't do it on camp time. Right. If you're, uh, you're here, Shohei Otani, the pitcher, Shohei yeah. Otani, the DH doesn't report until next week. That's a good, that's a good point. I'm, I'm obviously that's a, that's a silly point. Cause like guys are showing up Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt are like in camp already, but yeah, I love that idea of like moving forward, whoever gets Shohei Otani next year, because he's going to be a free agent, whether that's the angels, whether that's somebody else. Uh, I would love for them to just be like, no, we have hard lines on what you can do each day. Yeah. Sorry, day, buddy. You can do day. this this week. Next week, you can start doing some tea work uh, in the cages. Ben, what's going on with you? How are uh, how are things in the world of Ben's biz? Yeah, doing all right. Just plugging away. I mean, I probably said variations of this in the past, but I totally get, you know, pitchers and catchers report being a symbolic thing of, you know, the the window for spring slightly being cracked open and, you know, the hope of a new season. And I get it, but I guess as someone who's worked in baseball for a long time, I don't really have a desire for like more baseball in my life. And like, I'm like pitchers and catchers report. That's cool. I'm going to pay zero attention to that spring training because of the nature of my job and what I covered doesn't really apply to me. So I kind of shut it all out because I just feel like I will be immersed in baseball as we all were, as we all will be, you know, from April through September. And, you know, hopefully as a Phillies fan, well into October, but in mid February, I'm just like, it can still be the off season. It's okay. I don't need this now. That's, that's how I kind of look at it. Um, but I get it. I get it. And um, yeah, I'm just kind of plugging away. Um, still working on the ballpark guide project. Uh, we had the uh, Dayton dragons day air ballpark published uh, recently uh, yesterday or that would be uh, Wednesday for those listening to this um, on a day in which Wednesday was not yesterday. Um, but that was written by Jesse Borek, and that was the 100th ballpark guide. So we're in the home stretch of that project, writing a ballpark guide for every team. Um, hope to have it all done within the next month or so. We're getting close. and But that's been a huge amount of my time. And, of course, writing the newsletter. We talked about um, – scorekeeping last week and how that was a question I asked on my news in my newsletter about, you know, do you keep score in minor league games in last week's newsletter? I, um, you know, shared the testimonial of one individual, a man named Dick Devins, um, who learned to keep score from his grandfather in the 1950s and is now one of the official scorekeepers for the, uh, triple ice grant and Wilkes-Barre, uh, rail riders. And this week in the newsletter, instead of just having one person's testimonial, the Ben's Beat newsletter is 100% people just writing about their scorekeeping experiences, mostly at minor league games. So it's a special edition of the Ben's, Biz, Ben's Biz Beat newsletter, and uh, I hope everyone uh, enjoys that because I had fun putting it together, and it really means a lot, the level of uh, you know correspondence uh, I receive from people who read the newsletter and listen to the podcast. And um, I love cultivating that kind of community and being able to put together newsletters um, that have that are not just me writing to people, but sharing the opinions and uh, stories and experiences of as many other people as possible. Sounds corny, but I really am always trying to build a community out here. Little old me, just trying my best. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Were there uh, any uh, little anecdotes in the scorekeeping? Um stories that people pass along that stood out i mean obviously the the main one that you featured was super cool was there anybody who followed up to that that you thought like oh that's unique i don't know one that was particularly like whoa wow but there were certainly you know themes that emerged um 
family was one of them. Um, yeah, I think almost all the respondents were male, but um, a lot of people talked about, you know, having their sons and daughters, like just show a natural interest in it, seeing them do it at the game and now being able to pass that on um, not just the tradition of going to baseball games, but, you know, to be able to pass on, uh, you know, scorekeeping to your kids, I think is is something really gratifying to a lot of people. Um you know, there's people who were saying, you know, I used to do it by hand and now I switched to was it the Good Notes app. And I believe there's some other ones, but people do it on iPad and, you know, kind of go in those directions. Um, so just a, a wide range. And then there's all the specific ways people like to keep score, not just in the actual how they mark the plays, but the things they like to note in the notes and uh, the information they like to include is just a keepsake of the game, which is something I used to keep score a lot more than I do now, but uh, that's something I always tried to do is use the notes to talk about, you know, who I was there with, what some good food items were a particularly memorable thing that happened that might not be, you might not be able to actually record in the scorebook itself. And I think that's one of the great things about it is um, if you keep score, you can look at those old, those old games and, um, just be brought back to who you were and who you're, who you were with, uh, you know, when you were doing it, it's a great memento and it's free. I really like that idea of keeping notes of the specific experience of a game. That is, uh, very cool. Um, the ballpark guide, uh, world that you said we have finally entered the home stretch with, uh, that is very exciting. Is there any one coming up that you're like, especially excited to write or anything that's most recently come out that you're like, all right, finally, I got a chance to to put that one out there. Um, well, the one I'm most excited for will be whatever one ends up being last because it'll be that's we'll fair. finally, finally be done uh, doing all this. I'm working on Birmingham, um, Birmingham Barons regions field right now. Also, uh, just put together Northwest Arkansas, our vest, ballpark harvest ballpark i've enjoyed birmingham because i haven't been there for a decade and uh you know seeing how much the ballpark has changed in the decades since i've been there um you know the fact that that ballpark regions field is just three miles away from rickwood field um so that's the oldest ballpark in america rickwood field and three miles away is a brand new ballpark hosting the same team that played at rickwood the birmingham barons um so I, i really enjoyed putting that one together it's also been great having so many other contributors to the ballpark guides, you know, I've written a bunch, but we've had, I mean, Tyler, you have written, written quite a few um, over the last, uh, however many months and years of this project, Sam came in with the uh, Norfolk Norfolk yep. ballpark guide. Uh, Steph Sheehan, our coworker has written three um, excellent work on those. Michael Avalon has uh, dropped two recently, which has been a great help. Jesse Borek, uh, his um, Dayton one was the 100th one, uh, we published and that's great. Uh, Jacob Resnick did St. Lucie Mets. So um, it's been nice to be you know, part of a larger group of people putting this together and, uh, you know, help organize it and uh, be in the home stretch. All right, Ben, well, let's pivot real quick uh, to some alternate identities that have come out. You know, we've been talking for a while now about how promo calendars are being put together. And now we're seeing some of the fruits of that labor. Uh, one that I wanted to go back to, from a little while back was the uh, Hartford yard goats will be the bouncing pickles for one game this season. But again, let me repeat that the bouncing pickles, which goes back to a very little known Connecticut law, which is that if a pickle doesn't bounce, it's not officially a pickle. 
So now they're going to be the bouncing pickles, you know, coming with a logo that is literally just a pickle on a pogo stick. I don't think that's how a pickle has to bounce necessarily. I think it can bounce on its own. Anyway, uh, this is a really fun one and, and really seemed to go viral uh, a couple of weeks ago when they announced it. Yeah, this one got a lot of attention when it was the first announced. I believe they'll be playing as the Hartford Yard Goats will be the bouncing pickles on May 17th. First of all, I want to go back you know, slightly just to say that the Trenton Thunder – uh, who used to be in the Eastern League along with the Yard Goats are now in the Draft League. They announced their um, they announced their uh, promo schedule a few months back, and uh, they had a promotion on their Pickle Sunday on July 16th. And it was according to an old New Jersey law, it is illegal to eat pickles in the city of Trenton on Sundays. So we decided to break the law. <laughs> so Trenton, July 16th, are. Uh, they're going to eat pickles and break the law on a Sunday. And um, they even, what was uh, going on on the East Coast back in like the 17, 1800s that required, necessitated so many pickle specific laws? Well, you can even, there's a book called the Trenton Pickle Ordinance, which isn't just about the pickle law, but like other weird like New Jersey laws. Um, so we can learn more about this, but it's funny that the Trenton Thunder announcing that got me thinking about well, that's weird. A, a, bizarre law involving pickles and then now the hartford yard goats come out with their own pickle law related <laughs> full-on alternate identity so i was looking around a little bit i found the the connecticut the connecticut state library put out a little article on this um apparently it was a real hot topic people hearing about this bouncing pickle law and wanting to know more about it so uh i found something online where it says that Reference librarians in the Connecticut State Library's law and legislative reference and government information sections have spent hours poring over laws, regulations, and ordinances in an attempt to track down the pickle law. Finally, in a stroke of genius, reference librarian Steve Rice researched the Hartford Courant, one of the databases available to state library patrons, and a 1948 article concerning the arrest of pickle packers Spinney Sparrer and Moses Dexler for selling pickles unfit for human consumption, Connecticut Food and Drug Commissioner Frederick Holcomb discussed ways to check for good pickles. In addition to the laboratory tests used to examine the Sparrow pickles, he told reporters that you could also, quote, drop it one foot and it should bounce. The pickles in question did not. Spare was arrested, paid a fine of $500, and the pickles were destroyed. So there's like some pretty huh. good background there. They had to like confiscate and destroy all the pickles. Yeah, um, this is 1948. Some uh, Sydney so, Spare and Moses Dexler were selling for some subpar pickles. They did not bounce. They got fined $500. And now the Hartford Yard Goats, making sure their pickles are on the, uh, the right side of the law, are going to be the bouncing pickles. And as Sam said, this is all green. This is like a green background with a green pickle. And uh, the pickle itself, as Sam said, is on a pogo stick. Um, when I saw the logo for the first time, it was just a stray observation I had. But I wrote, if this logo was a music genre, it would be ska. And I think that holds up. I think if it just looks like a ska thing. And then that leads to a discussion that we can't, we don't have time for now. But I was thinking, huh, what are the most like metal logos what are the most <laughs> you know hip-hop logos what are the most rock and roll logos i think that's a good discussion for another day but bouncing pickles i call it ska well uh, another good uh ska one would be the fort myers mighty mighty muscles oh, oh there you go there you go 
I'm disavowing myself of this entire conversation. <laughs> no, uh, what I want to know, and maybe there is some sort of pickleologist who can get in touch with the show and let us know. We we seem to have just accepted the premise here that like, all right, if it bounces, it's a pickle. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Why does it bounce? A cucumber doesn't bounce, but a pickle does. I think I think you know if I'm remembering what Ben was saying there is that like you can send it to a lab and like study it to be if it's a pickle, but like a quick way of judging. And that that's just what latched on. Like you can't just be, I don't know. It, yeah, but I don't get it. Why does a pickle bounce, but a cucumber doesn't? You know uh, what I mean? Like, how do we know that it what what about bouncing makes it a pickle? Because it's loaded with buoyant brine. <laughs> I guess that's gotta be it. Like the the pickling stage uh unleashes uh, unleashes some elasticity in the uh in the previously non-bounceable pickle. Uh a little strange. We're gonna have to try this. Let's get a cucumber. Yeah. And a pickle, yeah, regular. Yes, cucumber. actually, yeah. I think you two should do that. Uh, I know that they say you only have to do it from a foot up, but you got that rooftop uh, over there at the at the the MLB offices. Why not make this like? Remember when Dave Letterman used to drop things off of the roof of uh, the Ed Sullivan Theater? I do, and and that theater is just you know what? Yeah, seven it's real blocks close up by. from us. So um, obviously, in that area. They're like fairly familiar with closing things off to drop food from a, a great height and see what happens to it. I think yeah, we're, we can I think go we're on a little deli, get the pickles from Rupert G, yeah! go up the roof, and let's do it. I think this is a fantastic idea. I think Letterman had a little bit more pull on like closing an entire block than we do, where you Sam, would just have to do it. Sam, I don't think Ben or I need your negativity. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. <laughs> I I'm not saying we can't do it. I'm just saying you're. You're making demands of us closing down a block, and I don't I don't know if we can do that, but like we have a a little terrace that we could just drop pickles off of. Right. And we I think Major League Baseball has the clout to close exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um Ben's on board. We're gonna we'll figure out a way to make this happen. Sam, if you don't want to be involved, if you think this is like too too risky, we're not indemnified against pickle related casualties. I get it. I get it. You can you can bail out. I'll fly I just don't want somebody getting speared, thing. is all I'm saying. Oh, God. This podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> I can no longer subject myself to it. Um, no, there is also another food-related identity out of the Midwest, uh, Ben, and it's one that is kind of spread uh, across multiple teams now. We know uh, how big the pork tenderloin literally and figuratively is uh, in Iowa and Indiana and Illinois and that region i'm sure there's a state in there that's going to get very mad at me for not forgetting or for not remembering that they're also pork tenderloin friendly but uh fort wayne is going with a tenderloin inspired identity right did you say iowa i did yeah so yeah cedar rapids is the other one correct yeah so we have uh pork tenderloins in uh iowa cubs i mean not not alternate identities but i know they sell them at iowa cubs games in des moines cedar rapids colonels uh, Peoria started selling them last year once they unveiled their own um, pork tenderloin identity. And now we have the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, August 3rd through the 6th of this season, playing as the Hoosier State Tenderloins. And uh, so they're saying, you know, this is Indiana sandwich. Yes, it's a Midwestern thing, but we're the Hoosier State Tenderloins. And I, I like the connections they have with this and the kind of legwork they've done in putting this together. I like that Peoria celebrated the tenderloin, but they didn't really – have a lot of detail around the identity other than like, oh, this is really big in Illinois and in the Midwest. But the um, Fort Wayne Tin Caps, you know, they say um, it originated in Northeast Indiana, uh, not far from Parkview Field, which is where they, uh, you know, their home ballpark, but 25 miles southeast of the ballpark, 
Nick's Kitchen has been serving up tenderloin since 1908. And Nick's Kitchen is the first stop on what has now been dubbed the Tenderloin Trail. So the Fort Wayne Tin Caps are saying, hey, we're pretty close to Nick's Kitchen. That's, you know, that's uh, where it all begins for the Tenderloin and where the Hoosier State Tenderloins, August 3rd through the 6th. They even got a quote in their press release from uh, the governor of Indiana, Eric Holcomb. We're going to settle the question once and for all about what is the official state sandwich of Indiana, Holcomb said. So as opposed to him getting in some sort of regional beef about which state likes pork tenderloins the most, he's worried about like this like in- intrastate squabble about what the official state sandwich of Indiana is. That is I don't even know that debate. And we know it know. can't be a beef. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you were in on it too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh we we no never mind. We had to, meet you have to follow through with it. <laughs> anyway. Ah so there you have it. We got bouncing pickles, which could be served alongside a uh Hoosier State uh tenderloin if you really wanted to combine the two. Um so those are just two of uh recent alternate identities. We are seeing Promo calendars, getting full promo calendars uh, are being released at a pretty rapid clip right now and a lot more to come. So we'll have more of this kind of stuff to talk about and uh, much more, much more in the ensuing weeks. This this brings up and not to have another editorial meeting here on the air, but we should have a segment coming up where we just build a meal out of alternate identity. I was having that exact same thought. Like we have to have a main dish, a side dish. Uh, I don't. I don't think there are any desserts, unfortunately, as far as. Uh, uh, there's like the whoopie pie, yeah, churros. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. The churros, that's true. That's a good point. We don't have but to yeah. do this in a draft style. We could do right. it talking about each one and choose our favorites. Yeah, like I can already throw out like the Albuquerque green chili cheeseburgers, uh, with the Akron JoJo's. I very much want to try these JoJo's. Uh, and then yeah, a San Jose churro. I'm down with that. All sounds. Yeah, you can start with breakfast Incredible. with scrapple. Yeah, and, um, a fastnacht. Uh, donut, whatever bacon. those are called. All right, the Fastnacht. Yeah, was. Uh, T- Toledo had some eggs on their jerseys at one point. I mean, you could definitely build a pretty balanced breakfast, and then of course you get into a very heavy lunch dinner type of meal with the cider donuts, as we talked oh, about. Oh yes, cider ago. donuts in Hudson Valley. Right, yeah. right. We could also uh, kick things off. Norfolk has the the coffee identity. The coffee, yeah. All right, let's let's save this for the <laughs> okay. This pod is in which pretty we do good. It. We're throwing this out a lot of good. good ideas. We are. That's true. Um, okay. Well, then we will keep that for a time to be determined. Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter, on Instagram. He's at Ben's Biz on Twitter, at the Ben's Biz on Instagram. And uh, thanks, dude. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you, Sam, although perhaps not as much because you are anti-throwing pickles off roofs. Yep. Thank you. Exactly. One day you'll see the light, Sam. I mean, maybe like a pickle, I'm coming back around on the idea. It's bouncing back. It's bouncing back up. Uh, it's a visual uh, you got a picture uh, it's not your best okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by Alan Miller, the new owner and president of the Lake County Captains. Alan, thanks for being here with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Cool. Well, definitely want to talk about uh, the Lake County Captains, but before we get into that, you also own... Uh, the Portland Pickles, a variety of other teams under the mantle of Collide Sports, and that's an offshoot of Collide, a more um, you know entertainment and cultural marketing company. Sounds like you have your, uh, I don't know what the right cliche is, your, uh, I was going to say feet in many lakes, but that's definitely not, that doesn't work at all. But anyway, you have a lot going on with this, uh, with what you've been doing for, for many years, uh, starting with uh, the Collide organization, I'm, I'm sure going before that. So it's a rambling way to say, you know, what is your background and, um, you know, how did all this come about? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, we um, I'm I'm very strangely obsessed with minor league baseball. I always have been. It's it's a really funny it's really funny and kind of a cool way to come full circle with an affiliated team. Uh, my background is in uh, marketing and I've run uh, marketing agencies where uh, our, our real focus is um, is culture. It's uh, how do you how do you work with brands globally and build uh, build great culture from a, um, a music perspective, a sports perspective, um, really changing, I think, how brands market themselves, how they work with their communities, um, and how they are really, uh, they build incredible projects. Um, so we've been really lucky to work with a ton of great brands over a very long period of time. Um, it's it's funny how, you know, I, I my passion has always been minor league baseball. And I used to only, uh, as I travel every week, I would only go to places that were close to teams that were in town. Um, so I've made this great transition where I used to be traveling during the day to go have my meetings with all our companies. And then at night, I'd be like, oh, got to go to the game. Uh, now I, I get to the stadium much earlier than I did before, uh, which is kind of a nice uh, a nice change of pace. Uh, but it's, you know, I see, you know, we, we see this as we see sports and music um, very similarly. I think we see it as, you know, I look at a venue as a as a real blank canvas for creativity, um, as a way to bring the local flair and culture to life. I mean, that's what I've always loved about going to minor league baseball games is seeing seeing things, seeing people tasting food, trying local beers. Um, I, there's really not another experience like that in mo- many of these markets, and um, I, I find it fascinating. And uh, you know, I, I I'm excited that we're uh, we get to do this uh, do our treatment on a a major league uh, affiliate now. Yeah, the Lake County Captains, um, high A affiliate of the Cleveland Guardians. Um, but one of the teams you've had for a little while now uh, are the Portland Pickles. And, um, you know, they're not an affiliated team, but they definitely have, let's say, an outsized reputation, um, you know, certainly online in the world of baseball. Uh, a lot of, um, you know, creative promotions, uh, a very a, um, attention-getting, shall we say, uh, social media presence. Um, you definitely have done some things with the pickles. I'd say maybe in the affiliated world, um, wouldn't fly as well, you know, suggestive mascot selfies and things like that. Um, but you know, what is the spirit you brought to the pickles, uh, and the approach that you've taken with them, uh, you know, to make them a success? Cause it seems like definitely a kind of, uh, Hey, if we can get away with this, let's do it kind of philosophy. 
Yes, um, that, <laughs> that is fair. I think we show a great deal of restraint based on what we could be out there doing. True. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it kind of comes back to really our company culture and what we're always trying to do. And, and you know, the Pickles is a, is a great organization. It really took us some time to get our feet under us and be able to build it the way we wanted to. Portland is a really great market. Um, they don't have baseball. So we really have, I, you know, from a, I mean, you know, from a Portland city perspective, we wanted to provide and become that organization. We wanted people to think that when you come to Portland, that you need to go visit a pickles game. And, you know, we lead with creativity. And I think that the market, you know, resonates with that. And I think most will resonate with creativity first. And I think that just takes a different approach to how we we market and we promote things that we do. It's not about a, um, it's not about come for a, a dollar beer. It's about come to celebrate something that was amazing that happened in the community. And I think when we do those things right, uh, their real magic happens. Um, and it's just about having a really great team of people who are fearless and trying to come up with great, uh, great concepts that that are authentic. Um, you know, I think one of the big differences between you know our beliefs and others is. Um, you know, we're, we want to make sure that it feels authentic, that everything about it feels authentic. Uh, we don't want things to feel scripted. Scripted is scripted to me is very boring. Um, I'm excited to see that anything could happen any night at a minor league game um, from on the field to off the field. Uh, and I think it's our job to kind of share that with people and share that FOMO that you're not there, um, that there's just amazing things happening. Um, so I, I, I love that. I get excited about that. And I think that, you know, what's really fun about having multiple teams in these markets is they come to life in completely different ways. Um, every city and market community is totally different. And I think if you're doing a good job, you're really trying to bring out those those authentic pieces from those markets and bring them to life. Yeah, now you're looking to do the same in the, with Lake County. They're in East Lake, Ohio, not too far away from Cleveland. Um, you know, what was your path to the Lake County captains and getting involved ultimately, you know, purchasing that team? Yeah, it was it was a bit of a process. I mean, it, you know, we we have been looking at um, affiliated teams for quite a while and trying to see what what a really good fit would be for um, for us. Um, you know, I, I'm never one to step into a situation where it's like, hey, they sell out every night and it's awesome. Um, I, I tend to like the fixer upper a little bit. I tend to like the thing that can be. Um, allow us to kind of use our strength. I think a big part of our strength is uh, modernizing things, using sort of new technologies, um, leading with creativity, as I said. And uh, it's, it seemed to me from, you know, our research into this team um, where, you know, they've, they've been in, in East Lake for 20 years now. And I think they needed a bit of a shot in the arm. Um, I think they needed to kind of reinvent themselves for the market um, it's it's a it's a it's a really great market. Um, it's very interesting. We talk about it being close to Cleveland. I mean, we're talking 15 to 20 minutes from downtown um, Cleveland and and right on you know Lake Erie. So you have a, a you have a lot of different communities in the area um, and they've come and gone for 20 years. Um, and now I think our, a lot of our challenge is like, well, let's go get those guys that were kids in 2005. But now we're are up for drinking and 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 will enjoy the kind of creativity that we're bringing every night. So it's uh it's it's like I said, it's a it's a big project. It's a, there's a great team of people um, that we're working on working with there to uh, to make it successful this season. So it's a uh, you know I think it's a really good fit for us. Um, and so far uh, it's been it's been the response has been excellent. 
Alan, when you uh, are able to take over a franchise that is so close to a major league market, uh, is in a major league market, what kind of um, advantages does that come along with? The fact that it's a, a place where people are maybe more used to like, oh, let's try to go to a, a Guardians game or um, you know, take part in that major league feel. There's something cool about being able to be a minor league component that's in that world. Uh, what advantages does that provide you guys? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And I think it's something that people have had a hard time, you know, answering in the past. And and even so far, as far as saying that, oh, they're, they're, they're our competition um, because they're so close to us. And I actually went back and did a little research when someone had mentioned that to me and I didn't, didn't sound right. And I kind of went back and looked at um, minor league teams that were in the closest proximity to their major league affiliates. Um, and the ones that were closer, for the most part, were much more successful than the ones that were farther away. And so I kind of wanted to look at what those what, what were the reasons why they were doing that. And I think a lot of it came down to what is your relationship with the parent club? Um, and I think part of our reason to go into this too was, um, you know, when when meeting with the Guardians and talking to Paul Dolan about, you know, what had happened before, what their visions are for their future, um, I was really blown away by um, their organization um, really, honestly, how kind everyone was, how supportive they are of initiatives, um, and how really good they are at doing what they do. Um, you know, running a running a a major league team in a a smaller market is uh, has is full of challenges, uh, and they were they were I mean, like I said, I was really impressed by um, how 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 well they. They were understood what their market was, where their goals are, how they were achieving them. And I, I wanted to be a part of that. And I really saw a, a great opportunity for us to be there, you know, from a, using a marketing term, a little bit of their top of funnel. Um, I think that we're we're in the business of creating baseball fans. And if we're taking fans and we're getting their first game because it's, you know, whether it's less expensive, it's more um, it's more you know, you're closer in on the field, you have a much closer experience with the players, you get to meet players, the things you don't get to do at a, at a Guardians game. Um, and so I think that our goal is to create young baseball fans and be able to transition them from being uh, Lake County Captains fans to being Guardians fans, um, and all the way up the ladder. Um, and I think it has to start somewhere. And the fact that we're both in the same market, it gives us a really unique opportunity to kind of, I think, be, make people the next generation of fans uh, become Guardians fans as well. Well, and I think it's really reassuring for people to hear that you're coming in with an investment in the future of baseball, and we're in such a, a shifting landscape moment in minor league baseball, and I think there's probably some trepidation over the um, you know, the consolidation of teams under certain ownership groups and the thought process behind like, well, what is that eventually going to mean for my beloved, you know, local team? Um, but if I'm a, a Lake County captains fan, I think the thing that I like most is hearing you at the beginning of this say that you've been obsessed with minor league baseball for a long time. Uh, where does that come from? What started that, uh, in your younger days and what would you say to a captains fan now that is thinking, you know, is this going to be part of some shift toward the future and I'm going to lose the stuff that I really love about my minor league team? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny. If this goes back away, you know, I grew up in Southern California, um, you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, growing up going to Dodger games, really, and I never really, ironically, I, I like the underdogs. I was never a huge Dodgers fan. Um, but what I, what I, you know, I, when I started to go out and see what minor league was, um, it, it just, it seemed to open up such an, such an opportunity to do more at a park to see more, to talk to me, to meet players, to buy merchandise, to, I just kind of fell in love with the community and the culture of what it was. 
Um, and it was actually, to me, it was more interesting that it wasn't, um, you know, major, major league. Um, and so I actually, at a certain point, um, and I think this was in the, um, you know, I got to check the dates on it, but one of the baseball strikes uh, when the when minor league baseball was playing uh, here in California, and I started going out to all the California league games um, and going from every weekend, I would recruit a group of a group of unsuspecting friends and saying, we're driving out to uh, to see the Bakersfield Blaze, or we're driving out to see the High Desert Mavericks, um, or we we would be driving out and we'd see, you know, the Lake Elsinore Storm became one of our favorites um, year after year, and and I think the reasons because of of the creativity that they provided, I thought that there was, you know, there was such an opportunity to do things um, that was that was so different. Um, and spoke to people of multiple generations. You know, I I don't think there's things, there's too many things that you can go to with your, you know, with a, a grandfather and a son and all three people find something really fun to be able to experience in a park. Um, I think that's very unique to baseball and the atmosphere and culture. Um, so I, I tend to go deep on things that I like and my passions. And, you know, I made it sort of, you know, my goal to get to as many minor league parks as I could. Um, throughout a sort of a long period of time. And, and I, I've been to most of them now. Um, and I have, you know, I have my favorites and I, but I also think, you know, after going to them, I, I, I study them, you know, I, I think it's important to learn what each one does really well. And I mean, I'm, I'm not afraid. And I tell our people, like, if you see a great idea, let's figure out how we can integrate it in an authentic way that makes sense for our markets. Um, because the only way you're going to get better is by seeing what other people are doing and, um, and, and asking and trying to find out how to do it better. Well, I know you just uh, impressed a certain subset of minor league baseball fans with the Bakersfield Blaze reference, <laughs> Samlin Stadium forever. Definitely not the prettiest park out there, but the uh, people who loved it really loved it. And uh, I'm, I'm still I'm still sunburned from the sun in the wrong place, just destroying my face. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember being there in the press box and the windows were entirely drawn because no one could see out the windows. They have 20 minute um, sun delays in the beginning of the game while the sunset. <laughs> Um, but but also to me, and it sounds like to you, the kind of place that really connects with a certain sort of fan because it's it's kind of raw. Um, it has so much uh, enthusiasm. The people who care really care, and you kind of feel like a club, kind of like when you like a band that's not very popular, and you're the people who are in the audience. You're like, these are my people, you know. <laughs> that kind well, of I think that's a great comparison, and I think that's why we treat them the same. I mean, we look at this as a venue, and this is you know this is all different kinds of elements of talent that are performing around you. Um, and I think the music, I think the music comparison is very, is, is right there at, you know, an indie rock band and a, uh, you know, a minor league baseball team share a lot of, a lot of similarities. And I think that's why, you know, I think the merchandise has always been so important to me too. I think from a music and from a team perspective, you know, having great merchandise is incredibly important and, and having, having a personality that represents you represents that town, that community, that city. Um, I really, upsets me to see similar, you know, when a same design is used for multiple teams. Um, it just feels like it's completely wrong. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And um, the less homogenous the landscape is, uh, the better. And um, well, going back to purchasing the captains, um, you know, you're at the head of the ownership group, but you've got a lot of people within that, the Collide Neo ownership group, including a former NFL player, Super Bowl champion, uh, John Ryan, um, seems like an eclectic bunch overall. So when you're, you know, really getting serious about buying sports teams, buying a team like the captains, how do you kind of assemble this roster of people who are going in with you? 
Uh, very good question. Uh, well, John and I met. Uh, John's been a, a fantastic partner. He, um, him, and I met about eight years ago now. When um, r- randomly, I, we were both sort of. Um, uh, looking into uh, getting a team. Uh, I had this really interesting situation where our marketing agency was wor- starting to work with a lot of professional sports teams and um, one of, and a specific an, an unnamed NBA team uh, we were working on a campaign for. And it was, I mean, if I do say so myself, it was a great campaign. Uh, and they said, uh, they they basically said, you know what, it's, uh, it's just too risky for us. Uh, we need to go with something considerably safer. And I, I walked out of that meeting and I was so angry um, that I said, I, I need to go and invest and get our own team because I want to prove to them and everybody that you can be risky and do fun stuff and create a great atmosphere. And um, so our, our mutual friend introduced me to John at eight years ago and I told him my vision and he's like, I have the same vision. And he was still playing for the Seahawks at that point. And we're like, all right, let's do this. Uh, so he's he's been a great partner on all the different um you know, properties that we've taken part in. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I, I have a very specific way of of doing things. Um, and um, either you're a part of it and you love it and you want to come along for the ride, um, or it's scary and you'd rather go invest in stocks. Um, and so I, I really feel great. I'm really Im- impressed with the group that we've put together for this and for some of our other projects that you know, I want people around me who are the smartest people in the room. Um, I know what I like doing as part of this. I know what my strengths are, um, but I also know what I'm not great at. And when I can have, you know, two other, you know, CFOs as part of our ownership group who I can run numbers by or they can give projections on things, that makes my life so much easier. So I'm I'm really fortunate that the group we have now and we continue to grow for these different properties is a, just a really great group of people that are in it for the right reasons. Um, and they love exploring this and learning about the journey we're on and and contributing from their you know personal uh, perspective because they've all been very successful in their different lines of work. Alan, if you're talking to Captain's fans and wanted to give them a, a taste or an idea of what a promo night could feel like uh, at a Lake County game under your stewardship, give us some of the highlights of the things that you've loved, You know, whether it's with the pickles or elsewhere throughout your career, uh, that people might get an idea of, oh, okay, I think I'm going to be pretty excited to go along with this sort of this identity. Yeah, we've uh, we we are we are going to be releasing our promotion calendar in the next week. I, I I'll, I'll give you a couple a couple you know a little a few sneak peeks into this. Um, but I would say you know one of the things we're going to be doing around opening weekend uh, is as you mentioned, John Ryan being a celebrated uh, punter. Uh, and I've been trying to get him. We we do a night in Portland called Tackle John Ryan Night. Uh, there was an there was an incident uh, one of his last years with the Seahawks where. Uh, he got destroyed on a Thursday night football game. So we kind of challenged all the kids to chase him around the field and try to tackle him. Um, and he didn't love that as much just because some of the kids were gigantic and it was really scary to have hundreds of people chasing him. Uh, it was great, though. We all enjoyed it. So we wanted to change it up this year. So um, we're going to do a punt challenge and we're going to invite people to go onto the site um, and register to punt um, to catch his punts. Um, in the outfield. So we're going to have a competition between innings to allow people to to see if they could really bring back a punt from an NFL punter. So that I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be pretty interesting. Um, we got to put a lot of pads and helmets on people because these are serious punts. Um, that's one we're doing. Uh, one other one I'm very excited about is we will be, uh, we have a night on the schedule in July that is, um, is going to be celebrating um, all people named Richard. Uh, if your name is Richard or any incarnation, uh, any version of Richard, 
uh, you'll be allowed uh, into the stadium for free that night, as well as participate in the Richard Parade, um, as well as the uh, the Sausage Fest that night. Okay, that's the promotional spirit we like to see. And I, I want to close with something related, but not really. Um, going back to my college days, you know, kind of a stereotypical story, but, you know, a dusty VHS cassette full of all sorts of weird stuff. I saw this new story that took place in Oregon about a whale that washed up on a beach and the officials decided to blow it up and it did not go well. And it was something my college friends and I watched. I've seen that same story. Yeah, I watched that all the time and um, just thought it was so hilarious. And, you know, through my years, I don't, I try to share the link with like-minded friends. But the Portland Pickles did an exploding whale night in honor of that horrible blunder that took place on the shores however many decades ago. And it actually had an exploding, like a homemade exploding whale on the field. There was tons of great, uh, you know, creativity there. You know, now you're with the captains, um, you know, like Captain, Captain Ahab's always looking for Moby Dick. Uh, Moby Dick could get in on Richard Knight, I assume. Um, So anyway, (laughs) again, just rambling. But um, what went into that exploding whale night? Because just on a personal level, I thought that was one of the uh, more unlikely promos I've seen in recent years. I'm glad you enjoy that. Well, I think going back to what we originally talked about authenticity, you know, our our head of tickets um, in Portland, Kevin Herbst, is uh, is he I mean, one of the first years when I was in Portland, um, he came up to me. He's like, have you ever seen this thing? And I'm like, I don't know. But what is that? And he showed it to me. He's like, got to do something with this. And that was probably five or six years ago. And uh, and I kept we kept thinking about how are we going to how do we honor the exploding whale in the right way? Uh, and then and then last season, we we're finally like, all right, just put Exploding Whale Night on the schedule and we've got six months to figure it out. Uh, and in that time period, we did a ton of research on ways to explode whales that um, or ways to blow things up that don't involve uh, things that will hurt our insurance policy or ruin our lease with the, uh, the city or will, you know, put an eye out. Uh, so we went through a number of ways to create the safest possible explosion that would look as awesome as possible. Uh, and I think we uh, we did a pretty good job, though. I was in a meeting with someone last week and they said, you know, if you need help making a real explosion, I can help you because that explosion last year just really wasn't as good as it could have been. So well, there there's you- always room for improvement. Yeah. <laughs> you can always explode that whale a little bit better. It's It's a metaphor for life. Well, looking forward to what you what you have coming up uh, with the Lake County Captains in uh, your first year at the helm, um, and really appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with us on the show before the show podcast. This has been Alan Miller, the owner and president of the Lake County Captains. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely, thank you, guys. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Well, despite what Ben said in our first segment, uh, a lot of us are really excited. The pitchers and catchers have started and we've got more baseball uh, coming our way this month as uh, camps have opened across the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League. And we are diving in to some 2023 baseball. But before we even get to spring training, the World Baseball Classic rosters are here. They have been announced. Uh, we are all very excited for the largest WBC field ever. 20 teams will take part in the 2023 edition of the World Baseball Classic. And we've got a good amount of prospects on these rosters. We've got three top 100 prospects who are part of WBC squads. Uh, Sal Freelich, the Brewers outfield prospect, who is the number 30 overall ranked talent in minor league baseball. He will join the Italy squad. Uh, Mariners catcher, Ari Ford, Harry led uh, Great Britain through the qualifiers last year in Germany to its first ever World Baseball Classic berth. Uh, Harry is back on that Great Britain squad for this year. And uh, Bo Naylor, who is the younger brother of Josh Naylor, uh, will be on team Canada. And of course, Josh Naylor has been on the Canadian national team before Bo has represented the Canadian national team at uh, some younger levels. Now he'll be on that WBC squad, but that is far from the total list of prospects that are going to be uh, on teams all throughout this world baseball classic. There are some really interesting stories uh, among the guys who are part of these rosters. There are a lot of guys who are connected to their uh, squads via, you know, parents were born in a certain country or they would be able to qualify for citizenship if they should apply, uh, all those sorts of things that enable roster additions for the World Baseball Classic. But Sam, from a prospect standpoint, obviously the three top 100 guys headline everything, but what else stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Freelich was like maybe the one that I was most excited about just because that, that's not something I knew automatically. Like we had seen Harry Ford uh, participate already for Great Britain. And like you said, we knew Bo Naylor uh, comes from Canada. That's always been part of his story. Freelich being Italian through his family heritage uh, qualifies for this. I've seen some people say it kind of reminds them of when Brandon Nimmo played for Italy a couple of years back. And that was before he was the Brandon Nimmo we know now. Bo Bichette played for uh, Brazil. Same sort of deal. Bo Bichette's mom is from Brazil. So yeah, there's a, a connection there that he played uh, in the last edition in 20, played in the qualifiers in 16. The main WBC was in 17. Right. Right. So we, we've seen this type of stuff before, but like Freelich, He's one of my favorite prospects because the guy doesn't strike out. I mean, he goes against modern standards in that way. His strikeout rate was getting lower by level to the point where it was at its best when he was at AAA, which sounds crazy. Um, he has a hit tool that I think would be competing for a major league spot out of spring, if not for the presence of Garrett Mitchell and a lot of other really good Brewers prospects as it is. I think he could be kind of, you know, or he he has the ability to thrive in this. I mean, he's not going to be playing more than a handful of games. I'm not expecting Italy to make some sort of deep run, although they have some interesting guys too, like Vinny Pasquantino's on that team. Yeah, um, they could kind of surprise a few folks, I think. Uh, but you know, this could be a, an opportunity for the rest of the world to see Sal Freelich, a guy with at least plus plus wheels, um, with the ability to put the bat on the ball. Take a look at him and be like, hey, this guy may be a major league leadoff guy right now. And maybe the, the Brewers have a difficult decision on their hands. Maybe they should start Freelich over Garrett Mitchell to begin the year. I don't think that's going to happen. He didn't get a ton of AAA time last year, but this is the opportunity for him. This is a big stage, and a lot of people can get to know his name uh, for sure. You look at the Israeli team, Matt Mervis, 
is will be on that squad. We have him as the number 21 prospect in the Cubs system at the end of last year. Spoiler alert, he's going to be making a huge jump when we update the Cubs list here in a few weeks. Um, one of the minor league contenders last year for the home run race, got some time in the Arizona Fall League. I know before the Mets made some, or the, the Cubs, excuse me, made some additions this offseason at first base. A lot of people thought he could actually be the opening day first baseman. Maybe that still happens. We'll see. Uh, you know, adding Eric Hosmer, I don't think you do that unless you think he's going to be your your opening day first baseman. But Matt Mervis has the slugging ability. I mean, he what he did last year was no doubt power. And again, definitely somebody who could kind of take the most of this opportunity and run with it. And one guy I want to shout out real quick, uh, or two more guys. One is a guy who's on the show, Dominic Hamill of the Mets organization, will be pitching for Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico has a real chance to be kind of, you know, maybe a top four, top three finish. I don't know how many innings Dominic Hamill's going to be, but you go back and listen to that episode. His breaking stuff is really, really good uh, for somebody who hasn't ha- doesn't have ample upper level experience right now. So I, I'd be really excited to see how that slider plays in an environment like this. And Edouard Julien uh, from the twin system. Kind of on the cusp of being a top 100 guy. He was in our conversations uh, over at MLB Pipeline. Guy just gets on base. Like, we don't know what what he's going to be defensively. He's a second baseman right now. Not really going to be adequate there. But the guy gets on base a lot, and he makes pretty good contact at, on top of that. Uh, I think he's somebody who could really plug into this and help Canada maybe make an upset run of their own with, with you know, Bo Naylor uh, and with some other pieces on that Canadian roster, including Freddie Freeman, which always makes me laugh that yeah. he's still doing it like good for him like his parents are canadian i'm all for honor honoring your heritage in that way but it's it's a little funny to be that freddie freeman's playing for canada but you know that team could surprise some folks too tyler you are actually going to be calling for yes. the wbc which is very exciting i know for you maybe even more exciting for me because i'll be watching those games being like i know that guy <laughs> uh but what are you looking forward to most now that the rosters are out yeah, man, I uh, I will be on Pool A coverage with uh, Ryan Roland Smith from Taichung, Taiwan. Coming up, we start on March 8th, so March 8th through the 12th. We've got doubleheaders every day um, starting at 11 p.m. Eastern time. They are not the easiest timed things to watch, obviously, being uh, one of the two Asia pools to kick things off in this WBC. But uh, our group is going to be really fascinating because you've got the, the heavy favorites, I would say, in that group, which is Chinese Taipei. Uh, the hosts, but you've also got a Cuba team that is really, really interesting with Yoan Mankata um, and Aloy Jimenez and and the storylines that go along with that squad. Uh, Italy, I think, has assembled a pretty nice roster talent-wise. Um, Mike Piazza is the manager there and is very invested in the future of Italian baseball and not just, oh, well, you know, he's going to have a, a lark and do this WBC thing, but is really trying to build something uh, with Italian baseball. And they've got some interesting talent that's on that squad. Uh, the Netherlands, I think, is another one of the favorites. They are so loaded. They've got, you know, tons of big leaguers and and guys who um, are climbing the ranks and are just uber talented, as it seems we see every year from the Netherlands. I'm not sure pitching-wise how much is going to be there for the Netherlands. Uh, but those four, and they're going to be joined there by Panama. And Panama uh, qualified through the uh, October event, which is actually on home soil in Panama. Um, And they're going to bring a really interesting team as well. And a group um, led by Jose Ramos, the eighth ranked prospect in the Dodgers system, uh, who hit a monster home run as his team beat Brazil in the qualifiers uh, to move on to the World Baseball Classic. He had a bat flip that was so thunderous that he launched his own helmet off of his head. Uh, But Jose Ramos, I think, is a a huge story. Um, It's going to be fun because the teams that are out there in that pool 
are definitely not the sexiest teams, I would say. Um, you know, in the Tokyo pool, you've got Japan and Korea. Uh, the U.S. is going to be in Phoenix with Mexico, with Canada. The the Florida pool, Miami, is just absolutely grossly loaded with talent. The DR, Venezuela, Colombia, Puerto Rico. Um, Israel's in that group as well. So those are going to be a lot of fun. But uh, I think there are a ton of very quietly fascinating storylines in that pool A uh, in Taichung. And we haven't, I guess, had an official announcement about it yet, but yeah, I'll be on the broadcast for those. Uh, you can catch uh, a lot of that coverage on uh, FS1 and FS2. There will be, I believe, also some games on Tubi, I think is uh, is another viewing option uh, for these broadcasts. But man, yeah, really excited to to get rolling with those coming up soon. Yeah. Do, it, do you have, a, I don't want to say a favorite, or maybe you can't play this game since you're actually calling it, but uh I'll put it this way because this is who I think is clearly the favorite. Can anybody beat the DR? I think the U.S. can beat the DR. Um, but in I'm this not format, sure. I think anybody can beat anybody on any right. given day. Maybe right. like the Czechs can't beat the DR or something I, like that. But, I think what the DR has that not many other teams have is dominant starting pitching. Like they've got extremely good uh, starting pitching. And yes, you know, obviously there are pitch limits and there are things that, uh, you know, play into the fact that you're not just going to automatically be able to throw somebody out there and, uh, you know, have them go eight or nine innings and, um, be a, a guy who can pitch you across the finish line like this is the World Series. But, uh, I mean, when you look at that team and what they've got position player-wise, that enough uh, should be, you know, something that can push you to a, a World Baseball Classic championship. But then you throw in Sandy Alcantara and Brian Abreu. Uh, there is so much depth on that team that I think that's the always the issue with U.S. teams, especially is starting pitching, uh, pitching in general. And there are some very good arms, obviously, uh, on this group. Adam Wainwright will be on that U.S. team, Clayton Kershaw. But they are guys who are at different stages in their careers than somebody like Sandy Alcantara, who's coming off a Cy Young season and, uh, you know, is in the prime of his career. Um, there is uh, there's a lot to be excited about this uh, for 2023. And, you know, even beyond just the uh the main storylines you're used to hearing about whether it's the US or the DR or um you know what uh what Venezuela is going to look like this year as you know Miguel Cabrera ages toward his uh final WBC and beyond you know Japan and Korea are always there at the end Chinese Taipei I think could make a run the Netherlands has been in the last two uh semifinal weekends so there are so many more teams that will surprise you than not I think Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, even somebody like Great Britain, Great Britain's got a really talented roster. Now they won't have Jazz Chisholm. Uh, he was turned down by the Marlins, but they got a really talented group. Uh, the Czech Republic is one of my favorite stories. They're going to be in Tokyo. Uh, I'm not sure how that team is going to measure up against the best of the best on the world stage, but you know, I don't see any reason why the Czech Republic can't hang in there against, uh, you know, Australia, against Korea, the other teams that are in that, uh, that pool. Um, so we'll see. I mean, this is going to be, for my money, this is already shaping up to be the best WBC ever. Uh, but once we get down to those final four teams, I mean, if it's, you know, the DR, the United States, Japan, Chinese Taipei, something like that. I mean, there it's going to be a lot of fun to be had in Miami that final weekend. Yeah, no, I can't wait to see exactly how it's going to shake out. And I do think it's a little weird to to watch some of the uh, a baseball tournament set up where it's so much is dependent on one game where I know like the wild card round has gotten us used to that a little bit, but um, we're so used to series being right. Deciding games like this. And 
now all of a sudden it's like we're gonna get winner take all yeah yeah exactly or your country it's yeah. gonna be insane I, this I is wait. gonna be fun um so let's continue this conversation about the spring uh seedlings in the baseball world pitchers and catchers have reported uh to spring training across the cactus league and the grapefruit league and the top pitching prospect in baseball is one of the most intriguing storylines headed into this 2023 season and that is the philadelphia phillies Pitching star, the right-hander Andrew Painter, who last year uh, made that huge climb. Andrew Painter is still just 19 years old, uh, made his pro debut in 2021. Last year, he pitched at single A, he pitched at high A, he pitched at double A. Combined in 26 starts, 6-2 and two record, a 1.48 ERA, 167 strikeouts against 25 walks in 109 and two-thirds innings. Um, have we been as excited about a pitching prospect recently as potentially Andrew Painter brings into 2023 with his excitement level. Um, I mean, we've definitely had like exciting pitching prospects in the past, but what I think is going to be fascinating now with Andrew Painter is it seems like there are some real rumblings coming out of Clearwater that he's going into spring with a chance to win a spot in the Phillies rotation. Now, if you're the Phillies, you're coming off like being close to a World Series. You he know, won't it, be 20 until after opening day, by the way. Right. No, I mean, it, it's incredible. Insane. It's insane. Like, it, it's crazy that we're even having this conversation. But it is a conversation because now with new rules under the CBA, there are some incentives to carry guys on your opening day roster. You could get draft picks down the line if in their non-arbitration years, these guys compete for awards. And if they're top 100 prospects, which Andrew Painter very clearly is, we have him, as you said, Tyler, our top 100 or our top pitching prospect in the game, number six overall, just climbed past Grayson Rodriguez, who's going to be competing for his own spot in the major league rotation. We've talked about that before. But Painter jumping from double A straight to the majors, this isn't even like a Julio Rodriguez situation like last year. Like we talked about at the beginning of spring, if you remember, could Julio crack Seattle's ro roster? Ended up being true. Yeah. Like, yeah. His skills were just too good, and he had a little bit of a rough of the, rough time at, at the beginning, but now he's one of the best center fielders in the game. With Andrew Painter, it's going to be a little different, like you talked about. He just cracked 100 innings for the last time last year, 103 and two-thirds across th three levels. If we're looking at normally you add like 20, 30, 40 innings in a season as you're building young pitchers up. Okay, now we're getting to at max 140 innings for him. And A, do you if you think he's ready, do you want to waste those innings at triple A? Maybe not. Or even double A. Like he didn't get that much time at double A. Maybe he goes back there. Maybe you don't want to do that, but also you're going to get into a situation where if you're the Phillies, you expect to be playing in deep into October and even November again next year. Do you want to stop him in the middle of the season and say, hey, listen, if we're going to get you to 140 innings, we want to save you and we're going to put you down or we're going to sit you or have you take up a run. It's, it's a fascinating discussion how you make that work. Um, now, the first thing that needs to happen here is Andrew Painter needs to prove his readiness in the spring. The control is there. I think that's really going to carry him to the big leagues pretty quickly. The fastball and slider are both probably plus pitches right now um, automatically in the major leagues. He has the size where you're not going to wonder, oh, is he still growing into himself? Like he might still add strength, but the guy's already six foot seven. Like we're not even at the point of projectability. We're just at he is a behemoth on the mound already. Um, and I just think it's going to be really fascinating to see what the Phillies do. I mean, they are definitely in win now mode. They might have an opening at the end of their rotation. Uh, it's going to be really, really interesting. And I, I can't wait to see what he does 
with that opportunity. All right, Sam, and let's just deem this strike three for this week's episode of Three Strikes on the show before the show podcast. We got some really exciting news uh, from MLB and MILB, which is that for the first time ever in 2023, minor league baseball games have been added to MLB TV, MLB.TV and the MLB at Bat app uh, this year. All MLB TV subscribers will have access to minor league baseball included as part of their subscription. Uh, you can watch more than 7,000 streamed games for affiliates of all 30 MLB clubs, including all 60 AAA and AA clubs. And uh, this is fantastic news. This is the type of thing that we have been really excited about for the last few years as a, a potential offering uh, with the growing intertwining of major league and minor league baseball infrastructures and all that. This is super cool. And it's, uh, a way, I think, very easily, very conveniently to make fans more engaged and more intelligent about what is coming through their organization and the things they have to look forward to uh, over the next few years at the big league level. Right. Yeah. If you're already subscribed to MLB TV, this is just an added bonus now. I mean, this is like a thing we are bringing straight to you. You don't need to go through different apps. Um, the one thing I'll say is that the way it's set up, and this is just so everybody knows when they actually get the service. It's set up that you will be able to watch the minor league games of your favorite team. Whenever you sign up for MLB TV, you have to choose a favorite team. That's to get, you know, a curated experience for you. That being said, you can still change your favorite team to watch another affiliate. Like if you want to go watch, uh, you know, like what if let's say Andrew Painter goes back to double A and you want to watch his start, but you're not necessarily a Phillies fan, just change it for a few minutes to the Phillies. You'll be able to watch him pitch on MILB TV. TV through MLB TV. Um, it's going to be through the app, bad app. It's going to be under all of that itself. So it's just going to be meeting a lot of fans where they already are, not splitting it up. The you know the fact that MLB and MILB now are under one house, all that video is kind of shared under one building. It's going to be so much easier to do all this stuff, and it's a really really fun opportunity. Like you said, Tyler, like we'd always hoped this would happen someday. Uh, down the line. We just never knew when, and now it's here. And now I'm very excited for the amount of people who already subscribed to MLB TV and maybe haven't gotten experience, got to experience minor league games, minor league video yet. It's going to be so easy to do that. I know that's probably not a lot of you people listening right now. If you're listening to a minor league broadcast in, in February, you probably have some experience with MILB TV, but uh, it's just going to be a super fun way to to get more games in front of more folks. And that's always the goal here. So that's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. And uh, Josh Jackson will swing by and then we're back to wrap it up. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was once a formidable force on the diamond. The others are the weak sauce of my imagination. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. 
A, the Fredericksburg Guy Fridays. B, the Port Louisa Sidekicks. C, the Newark Co-Pilots. You're going places if you pick C, the Newark Co-Pilots, who took off in the New York Penn League of the 1960s and 70s. If you're thinking of the burg nicknamed New Jersey's Gateway City, you need to catch a flight some 300 miles northwest to Newark, New York, a village in Wayne County near Lake Ontario. But don't be let down, the co-pilots can get you there. The co-pilots landed on the scene in 1968 as an affiliate of the Seattle Pilots, who were charting a course to debut in the American League the next season. Fledglings though they were, the co-pilots wasted no time getting off the ground and reaching impressive heights, finishing in fourth place and making the playoffs in their inaugural campaign, boosted by a booming offensive effort from Clarence Vaughns and steered by skipper Sibby Sisti, who helmed his way into a coaching job with the big league pilots for 69. Meanwhile, back in Newark, Earl Torgerson, the excellent former first baseman who enjoyed a 15-year big league career with, among other clubs, the Boston Braves and the Detroit Tigers, took over the wheel for the co-pilots and propelled them to another winning season. Their parent club, of course, moved to Milwaukee for 1970. And although the co-pilots raised their glasses to the newly rechristened Brewers and remained an affiliate, Newark went its own way in keeping the co-pilots moniker. And why not? The co-pilots were flying high, posting a third straight winning season before breaking even in 71 and sinking over the next few years, including a miserable 15 and 55-73 season in which they had Robin Yunt, but soaring up to cloud nine with a championship in 75, when Talmadge Tanks, Milwaukee's ninth round draft pick that year, slugged eight extra base hits and stole nine total bases in 52 games for Newark. But ultimately, it was tanks for nothing. <laughs> As attendance at Copilot's games dropped to an all-time low of about 12,576 and plummeted even lower to under 10,000 in 77. There was no denying the franchise was losing altitude, and Milwaukee abandoned the affiliate after the 78 campaign. The co-pilots tried to fly solo as an independent club in the New York Penn League of 79, but they had vanished into the horizon by 1980. And that's how the co-pilots crashed. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams didn't make a peep in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Meridian Peps. B. The Phippsburg Pips. C. The Palmdale Paps. Want to know the answer? Speak up! Or, tune into the next, goes to the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is looking for the sweater I borrowed, and I've got to spin a yarn. Big thanks to Josh Jackson for stopping by for Ghost of the Miners. And uh, my co-pilot, Sam Dykstra, on this oh, week's episode. Oh, there it is. <laughs> we were like, how are we going to segue out of this? And I was like, don't worry, I got it. The, the pros pro that you are. I was making bad jokes in segment one, and here you are just, you know. I do love that uh, that they just, like, they were a Seattle Pilots affiliates. They're like, I don't know, the co-pilots? Why not? We should get back to that. Fine. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we kind of have that now with like the it used to be the Reading Phillies, right? And then right. they change it to be the Fighting Phils, so right. something different. Um, I have Reading on the brain apparently. The most, the more I think about Andrew Painter, um, <laughs> but I, I kind of like getting a, like let's just find puns. Yeah, or, it always did really bother me that when the uh, the Colorado Springs Sky Sox became the Rocky Mountain Vibes, which that's a whole other conversation, but they were a Milwaukee Brewers affiliate, and it bothered me that they did not just permanently change themselves to be the microbrews. Well, were, so Carolina did that. Carolina did it. Um, but that was an alternate identity. Right. And I also and, love that's, and that. Was, Rocky Mountain was the lowest level affiliate. So I was thinking like, well, you're a short season team. This makes perfect sense. And they didn't do it. And yeah. Then Carolina did it as a, as an alternate identity, not a permanent identity. Yeah. I think we should come up with, with some more, uh, some more pun related team nicknames. You know, if you're the giants affiliate, you can be like the, just the tall guys. You know, like if you're the next step down the ladder, it's like the how the San Chicago Jose Bears, all guys, the yeah. San Jose moderate height people. It's like how the Chicago Bears they got their nickname because the Chicago Cubs already existed, and George Hallis, I believe it was George Hallis, said like, "Well, what's bigger than a Cub? Because football players are bigger than baseball players. It's a bear. Why don't we just call them the Bears?" That's how that came about. Why don't we have more intertwined, comedic, punny nicknames across sports? I mean, we're throwing it out there, and I'm sure minor league baseball will provide, as they always do. So, All right. Well, for this week's episode of the show before the show, we're going to wrap things up. Benjamin Hill, Josh Jackson, Sam Dykstra. My name is Tyler Mon. We'll catch you next week.